Evening, everyone. I don't normally preach with my uh, computer, but I've had technology problems in the form of my uh, son using all my battery power on uh, my iPad to watch football all afternoon. So there you go. Um, so uh, here we go. Um, thank you, uh, Isaac, for uh, leading us and Ben. It's been really good uh, to, um, to hear uh, you lead us in worship, but also in communion. So I appreciate that. Um, Tonight's an interesting message because uh, who was here uh, last week? Uh, oh, not, yeah, well, not heaps of you. So, um, uh, but last week John preached on uh, Romans chapter 6 and uh, he, he kind of covered uh, the whole of Romans chapters 1 to 5 and then the whole of Romans chapter 6, including the passage he was preaching and the passage I was preaching and most of Romans itself, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But after that, I thought, well, I'm not quite sure what the plan is uh, for tonight, because um, I, was, I was meant to just preach the, uh, the, the end, the second half of Romans 6. But um, there's actually a real power in uh, zooming in sometimes. So there's a, there's a power in like taking the broad perspective, and there's a power in, in taking the close-up perspective. And I was thinking about how, like in nature, if you, if you look uh, out at some huge... Um, view like it's really beautiful but then if you look like really close up uh, from maybe two meters at I don't know like some flowers or something like that not that I'm prone to looking at flowers but uh, um, then that can be really beautiful but even then if you look like super close up under a microscope then something also looks like really beautiful and I think that's how it is with the gospel if we're willing to give it the time to both look broadly deeply in every way it's, it's actually in the looking question is uh are we looking? Because you can go through life, going for a walk around with your head down, you don't even notice that there might be something really beautiful to see all around you. Uh, Romans, um, this week, uh, just an interesting week, I want to speak really briefly about, uh, before I get into the sermon, about two things that, that came across my uh, occasionally looked at social media feed uh, relating to Christianity. And that was uh, two uh, really significant Christian figures uh, in the media for one of them saying he's now no longer a Christian and the other one saying he's kind of uh, in a really shaky space with his faith. And so the first of those was a guy called Josh Harris who wrote a book called Why I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Uh, has anyone heard of that book? Uh, I don't know if you've ever read it. I haven't. Um, but um, and the other guy's Marty Sampson from, from Hillsong. And uh, he's really struggling in his faith. And interestingly, maybe it's just the way uh, people do things these days. Both of them went on Twitter to kind of say, this is, this is where I'm at and this is what my beliefs are at and this is what I'm thinking. And uh, it struck me as I uh, read particularly what Marty was wrestling with, some of the questions he was wrestling. He was sort of talking about stuff like science and faith and, and uh, healing and why some people don't get healed and wrestling with these things. And I thought myself and and he kept sort of saying in his comment you know no one talks about these things and I firstly I thought to myself well he should get on our podcast and listen to Kurt's sermons for the last four years because he talked about all those things um, but I also thought about how uh, it, it's as though some people uh, they like a, they're like a tree sort of nature references um, they're like a tree that that actually gets really big and, and bears a lot of fruit but actually hasn't planted deep roots and it reminded me, this is why we're doing Romans. Because if you actually build this faith that, that may be 
even fruitful or, or big or looks great, but don't have deep roots, then um, you could be like uh, the massive pine tree in my neighbor's yard a year or two ago that was enormous, but fell over. And, and then when you looked at the, uh, the roots there, they were, they were you know, very, very small and it didn't have any depth to hold it. Um, Psalm 1 says that uh, blessed is one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the, the Lord, the word of God and who meditates on his law day and night. It says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And so you've got to build your life on a solid foundation. You've got to understand the Word of God and you've got to understand the Gospel. Someone once said in response to uh, these guys, and by the way, we should just love these guys and pray for them because uh, they're significant people. We should love pray for all people who don't know Jesus or are struggling in faith. But he said, we must stop making worship leaders or thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christianity. I thought, amen to that, because I'm, I'm none of those things, you know, <laughs> relevant or <laughs> cool or influential. Um, but, uh, you know, that I, I think I know who the most important, the most influential person in Christianity should be. Um, Jesus should be the most influential person in Christianity, not any other person. And in fact, I'll challenge you that um, while I'm a preacher of sermons myself, um, I do get worried some, sometimes when young adults, because of podcasts and all of that, are tuning into so many different sermons, but maybe don't actually know how to handle the Word of God. Um, speaking of which, where is the Word of God? I've left it over there. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> got it. So, um, yeah, we've got to be able to handle this thing uh, rather than just hear others interpret it for us. And sometimes, like often that... It's more entertaining to hear a really amazing preacher on a podcast, right? They've, they've got stories, they've got illustrations, they've got the whole thing. And when you open up the Bible, it's actually harder work than listening to a podcast, right? But, um, but knowing the Word of God is such a powerful thing. And, and for those of you who heard John last week, he, he knew the Word of God, right? And hopefully if you hear me preach, you get that sense too. Um, <laughs> um, and... And I want you guys to know the Word of God. And, you know, like he was, he's quoting verses of Scripture. He knows the Word of God. And uh, so we've got to know the Word of God. We've got to be planted deep. And that's why we're studying Romans, because we've, we've got to know this gospel. This gospel is so important. And uh, especially for you guys, because you're living in a really strange and bizarre time in history. Uh, the world has changed, and Christianity has going, gone from being... Uh, respected. Uh, maybe a generation or so ago, Christianity was so respected that most people who weren't even Christians would say that they were affiliated with the church, right? That's why everyone ticked in the census. Oh yeah, I'm an I'm a Anglican or a Baptist or a Lutheran or whatever it was, even if they like went to church only a few times a year or whatever, and most of them would send their kids to Sunday school, even if they didn't go regularly, and they would say that they went to church because it was so respected in society, most people call themselves Christians. And then there's this shift for it went from being respected to being accepted. And it was an acceptable thing to be a Christian. And now there's been this third shift to where it's being rejected and contested. Okay, and that's the era you're growing up in. 
Now, the truth is, uh, as I talk with people uh, who are not Christian, I find that my faith is very accepted still. But in the media, uh, it's being increasingly rejected. In the law courts, in the political situation, in the decisions that are being made, it seems that the decisions are going increasingly against um, the Word of God and the, and the church. So that's the, that's the era you're growing up in. And so it is a season where you need to know what you believe and why you believe it, because otherwise it's just going to be easier um, to give it up. Um, you know, there's a lot of Christians who have grown up throughout the whole of hum- Christian history, 2,000 years, and still live today in persecuted situations. What we're experiencing at the moment in Australia is not really that great in terms of persecution. But when you're persecuted, you, you, you don't just... You don't just um, say you're a Christian and follow it because your friend does or something like that. You've got to believe it, right? Because there's going to be a cost. And increasingly, there might be some level of cost for you who follow Jesus. So, uh, let's, uh, let's look into this passage. And um, uh, yeah, as I said, it's going to be interesting. We'll see how this goes. I'm praying that God will speak through um, what I've got to share with you tonight. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 15 to 23. I'll read the whole lot and then we'll kind of get into it a bit. And um, yeah, what then? Uh, by the way, if you've got a, this on your, on your uh, smartphone or an actual Bible like this, please look at it because it, it's going to be helpful uh, if you've got it in front of you. Romans chapter 6. Um, yeah, if you've got a smartphone and don't have a Bible app, uh, get a Bible app because it's really cool. You've got the Bible right there. For free. Um, So there you go. I'm in the NIV version. Uh, Paul writes, verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. (laughs) I love that. Paul's actually quite condescending there. But anyway, we'll go on. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Uh, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from... Sorry, Epiphany, I'm like talking right in front of you. Um, When you were slaves to sin, you were uh, free from the control of righteousness... What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the interesting part about this passage in this chapter is if you go right back to, to verse 1 of, of uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Then we get to today's passage and it starts off this way. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? 
You see, it's kind of like the same question. And then a key verse in probably that first half of the chapter is verse 6, which says, you see, just at the right time when we're still powerless, wrong chapter, Um, that was chapter 5, we'll go to chapter 6. Verse 6 says this, For we know that our old self was, was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We then get to the second half of the passage, and he kind of repeats it again. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin. And so I thought to myself, as I'm studying this, I'm thinking, isn't that interesting? Because I don't know if you know, like, when the Bible is written, Paul doesn't waste his words. He, he thinks very carefully about everything. Like, for a start, writing a scroll was, uh, was very expensive. And, of course, what he was doing, he knew was of great importance. So he thought about it deeply. So why does he kind of take so much time and repeat? He explains it. And he talks about the fact that you've been set free and and says, you know, why would you go on sinning? That's crazy. And then he gets to the second half and he says the same stuff. Why would he do that? Well, I think the answer to that as I wrestle with it is because um, it's so important for us to understand what it means for us to have been set free from sin, from the power of sin and death. And I think that uh, we perhaps so easily don't really understand that we have been set free and what that means and, what, and, and how it impacts our life. And so, in fact, the fact is we have been set free from the power of sin and death, but too easily we live as though we are not. Let me track that back to my story. I grew up uh, in, a, in a, a family that went to church every week. We were um, very committed to church. My parents... Uh, were Christians, I'm pretty sure. Um, they actually, we didn't really talk about faith much at home. It was a strange kind of thing in, in a way. It was very much, we went to church every week and then we came home and I guess we lived good moral lives and my parents' faith actually came alive uh, when I was probably uh, about, you know, like a young adult. That's when they actually really came alive in their faith. But they were very committed to church, so we grew up going to church. And I grew up knowing the stories of church. I, I grew up being able to fit into church. I looked like a Christian, I sounded like a Christian, but you know what? I wasn't a Christian. Because actually being a Christian is not defined by whether you attend church, it's not defined by whether you uh, know the Bible stories, it's not defined by whether you uh, live a good moral life. Being a Christian is defined by whether you've made a commitment of faith, uh, where you've said, Jesus, I need, uh, God, I need your forgiveness. I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I'm committing to make Jesus Lord of my life. And when I was 17 and a half, I went on a commencement camp for a university Christian group. And on that camp, I was, uh, for the first time, profoundly convicted of my sin and my rebellion from God. And the the Bible says, uh, all have turned away. And and it justified, you know, all for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I used to, I perhaps hadn't realized that indeed that included me. I had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in that moment, I turned to God 
and uh, upon his mercy uh, received his grace forgiveness. And so um, I'm actually always conscious when I preach the message and I talk about what it is to be a Christian, it may be that actually not everyone here is a Christian. And, and, uh, but the grace of God is for you if you turn to Jesus and trust in Him. And so, um, but what happened in that moment for me is when I gave my life to Jesus and when I uh, put my faith in His work on the cross, uh, something actually changed. Something real and powerful changed within me. And it wasn't an outer change. I continued to look the same, sound the same, um, but it was, uh, it was an inner change. It was a spiritual change. What happened is that I was set free from the power of sin and death. Death no longer had a power or mastery over me. And the image that perhaps captures this, I'm going to talk about two different images, but one of them is that I was, uh, uh, and, and all who are not, uh, have, have not put their faith in Jesus are, are essentially uh, like prisoners who are on death row. It, it's a pretty brutal image. But we're actually chained up. We don't, we, we, we're, we're sort of deceived. So we don't realize we're chained up. We're not physically chained up, but spiritually we're like we're chained up and imprisoned. And um, there's a great hymn, a famous hymn called And Can It Be, where there's a verse in it which, which says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in chains and nature's nigh. I think it goes, um, night, and then uh, it, it sings about how um, uh, his eye diffused a, a ray of light, and um, uh, he says, um, I woke the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. And uh, when we are uh, saved, um, the chains are broken, and the prison door is is uh, cast wide open as much as it was in that passage in the New Testament where they prayed and they're praying at night and all the prison doors were open and all the prisoners went free. Well, there's, that's what happens when we believe. We were chained, power of sin and death, and, uh, and then that power is broken. And we are set free from that power. Um, that, that, uh, the influence of the, the power of sin is, is no longer holding us and Satan no longer has us chained up. We're free. But, um, and we're reconciled with Christ in that moment, the Spirit comes and dwells within us. And that's what happened to me when I was 17 and a half. And yet, uh, at that moment, and, and moving forward, uh, really what Satan wants to do is actually say to us, um, no, you're actually still in chains. You're not really free. And he wants to kind of say to us, uh, no, you can't overcome temptation. You can't defeat uh, anything, and, and you're under my power, you're under my control, you're still my slave. Um, but actually, we're not. We're no longer slaves uh, to, uh, to Satan. We're actually set free from that. And Romans is addressing this question. It wants us to know we have been set free. We have been set free. And we have been released. And now the question is, what are we going to do with that freedom? What will you do with that freedom? And uh, last week, John referenced uh, a movie and uh, just happened to be uh, one of my favorite movies also. And that movie is the movie Braveheart. Okay, now Braveheart's a pretty old movie. So I'm guessing most of you haven't seen it. Who's seen Braveheart? Okay, just about everyone. All right. But we're going to start. I'm going to show you a clip again, which I think captures something of what I'm going to go on to explain through the scriptures in Romans chapter 6. We can watch this. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. 
I've been known to sort of try to act it out and put on my Scottish accent, but anyway, <laughs> I won't do that tonight. So the, uh, the Scots were uh, an enslaved people, and they were enslaved to the, uh, to the English who had power over them, and they had to, um, uh, that, that meant their freedom was curtailed. And uh, William Wallace came along, and uh, how accurate the, to history the whole movie is, I've got no idea, probably not much. But he fought back, and he won a, a battle, he won a victory, and he won freedom for the Scots. And, uh, and then, of course, what happened is, the, uh, well, the English didn't, they weren't too pleased about that. So they came back with their army to try to reclaim what uh, the, vi- the victory that had been uh, won from them. The freedom that had been won for these people, they tried to recapture them. And um, so the sense of where does this fit into the, the gospel message, uh, I think it's actually a great analogy for what Jesus has done for us. That He actually has come and won a battle for us and won our freedom. We were enslaved, we were in tyranny, and Jesus comes and gives his life as a sacrifice that actually sets us free. It does a profound work in breaking chains and setting us free and winning our freedom at a spiritual level. And then the question is, what will we do with that freedom? What will we do with that freedom? Because Satan, while he is defeated, the, there is still a battle going on in a sense because the ultimate battle uh, is, is not... Uh, yet one in that Satan still has a, an influence in this world as a, one who brings temptation and seeks to draw people away from following Jesus and knowing the freedom that we have. And sometimes if we take our eyes off, not William Wallace, but off Jesus, and we look across to the battlefield and we're dealing with stuff in our lives that's like temptation and challenges and um, all of that kind of stuff, we, if we fix our eyes on that stuff, sometimes we can think, well, the, you know, like the English are too many. It's too difficult. I, I, can never, I can never win that battle. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to be dealing with this thing in my life forever. But actually, from the moment we uh, become a Christian and Jesus comes into our life and the Spirit comes into our heart, there's this process that, that God wants to work through us, which theologians call sanctification, which is a slowly step-by-step change in us that leads us to become more like Christ. And for those of you who are fairly new to faith or fairly young in faith, the simple reality is that it is a battle that is keenly fought right now in your lives. And as the journey of sanctification goes on, uh, it actually becomes, I, I've, I think you begin to win victory in a stronger way and you actually grow more like Christ as time goes by. That if you actually keep drawing and pressing in to know God more, that's where I actually come across guys who are, you know, in their 70s and 80s, men of faith that I know who are just so incredible in their faith. They've got such wisdom, they've got such relationship with God because they've been on this journey of drawing close to God and actually looking to Him and looking to Jesus day in, day out, week in, week out, year after year after year. So sanctification's done a work in their life. Uh, But the battle's got to be fought by us. A battle uh, which has been won by Jesus, but then Satan doesn't want to let us actually live in that freedom. He wants to try to say, no, no, you're still chained up, you, or, or, you know, I'm too powerful for you, or, or you're not, actually not free, and, uh, but actually we are. So let, let's have a look at this. Paul says, uh, verse 15, as he said in verse 1, pretty much the same. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law 
but under grace. You know, we're saved by grace, you know, if we're saved by grace, you can do the logic and do the flow of logic. Uh, well, I'm saved. It's not about my works, nor does my sin prevent me from, you know, it's not that I sin and I'm suddenly fall away from God. I'm saved and I'm, I'm, my eternity is safe in Jesus. So, hey, I can go and do what I want. Whatever happens doesn't really matter. I'm still saved. I still get the ticket to heaven. Paul says, by no means. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience that leads to a righteousness or right relationship. Um, Paul says, no, you've got to make your choice. Choose to be. Uh, and then he actually uses a strange phrase. He goes on to say, oh no, hold on, verse 17. Firstly, he says, but thanks be to God. And he's talking about the Christians in Rome. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That as this teaching's come along, this message of grace, this message of life in Jesus, you've been set free, it's claimed your allegiance, and now you are choosing uh, to obey from your heart that pattern. And... Um, then he says, you've been set free from sin. But then he makes this strange comment. He says, and have become slaves to righteousness. So he says, like, you're no longer slaves, but now you're slaves to righteousness, which doesn't sound that exciting because surely you get released from slavery to not be a slave, not to become a slave to righteousness. And then he goes on to explain this. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. What he's saying is, I'm kind of taking this analogy and extending it because you probably won't get this. And so what he's really saying in this passage is, it's they've been set free from slavery to sin and death. They're actually free. And now he's saying what they've done is they've actually chosen to have a new boss in their life. They've chosen to say, well, Jesus, we voluntarily choose to actually be to serve you and to be for you to be king in our life, to be the Lord of our life and to be uh, the boss of of us. We want to come in under your lordship. And um, so essentially they've kind of said, if we look at verse 17 to 18, it says, thanks be to God that there used to be slaves to sin. You've come to obey from your heart this pattern of a teaching. You've been set free from sin, become slaves to righteousness. That's what I just said. I'm, where am I? Um, yeah, so he's, he's explaining this idea of freedom, this choice that they've made. And so essentially... What we have is we've, we have a choice. We're set free from sin and that is done. But the question is, who are we going to serve now? What will you do with your freedom? And ultimately, we kind of could actually be set free from sin and we could actually receive that gift of eternal life, which is a free gift. But in the end, we could actually just go and really squander that by kind of living for ourselves or actually just re-entering into a life where we're just uh, giving ourselves over to sin even though we've been set free. And uh, Paul would want to say, no, no, Christians in Rome, so good. What you've actually done, you've begun to obey this different pattern of living, this different pattern of teaching, and you're actually choosing to be uh, like as though you're slaves to God, as though you're servants of God. Um, Paul goes on to say in verse 23, um, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And uh, so it's about receiving this gift and then actually living in it fully. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I love receiving gifts. I like giving gifts, but I quite like receiving gifts. Um, when I receive gifts for my birthday, um, my, my wife loves surprises, okay? She loves when, she always wants me to surprise her, and I, I like to think, well, can you just give me some suggestion about what you actually want? She'd be like, no, you just, just surprise me. I think, but that could just be a waste of money. Like, um, she's like, you know me. And uh, so then I have to try to be creative. And when it comes to my gifts, I much prefer pragmatism. The, I generally buy my own birthday presents and then give them to my wife and kids to give back to me. Because, um, you know, it just means I get exactly what I want. Um, it just takes the risk out of it. And like normally I want sort of like, you know, I don't know, a, a particular kind of golf club, right? And I'm talking like it's got to be the right, exactly the right kind. Like I don't, you know, if I'm wanting, you know, a particular driver, you know, I don't want like an 11 degree loft on the face of that driver and get a 10 degree loft. Like that would just be difficult. Um, so anyway, um, receiving gifts is, is a wonderful thing. Uh, Paul finishes his passage by saying, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, I'm just kind of mucking around here, but giving and receiving gifts is a wonderful thing. And when you give gifts, you tend to give it to those that you love. And you tend to give it as, a, as an act of generosity, as a blessing. And ultimately, this gospel message is that we've been given this most incredible gift, eternal life through Jesus, and in fact, being brought into relationship, right relationship, righteousness. And um, perhaps an analogy for this would be like, imagine if you were given a house as a gift. Like, that would be a pretty amazing gift. But you only ever kind of um, went into the first room and never went into the fullness of that house. You never kind of lived in it. Or maybe you just felt like, oh, you know, I, I, won't, I won't go into it, and, and you, sort of, you sort of get to the door, but then you, you're dragged away, your attention's dragged away, and you end up going and living your life in, um, I don't know, like under a bridge or something. Like you live, you live essentially as someone who, who is uh, a homeless person, but you've actually got this house sitting there that, that you've, that, that's been gifted to you. And so we've had this freedom won for us. And what Jesus wants us to do, what God wants us to do, is to enter into that freedom and live the life that he's given us. And to me, that life is just the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is eternal life, but also to live the life with Christ now. And part of that is actually about facing down some battles that actually enable us to actually move forward into that life. For me... When I became a Christian at 17 and a half, um, I didn't suddenly become uh, uh, like a person who just exhibited pure holiness every day. I know that surprises you because you'd imagine that of me, but, um, but I didn't. I had to fight some battles and I had to figure some stuff out. And that, that fight actually took a number of years. I'll talk about two things that I had to fight against. One of those was... I had to fight against uh, the longing for approval from other people. I, I wanted approval from other people very badly. I was very deeply concerned about what people thought about me. Some people seem to maybe not be too fussed. They're just like, hey, this is me and I'm cool. Um, I'm cool with just being whatever I am and whoever I am. 
but I was someone who, who sought the approval of people. And that really uh, was not, uh, that, that, that prevents me from living in the freedom of Christ. So I've been set free from that need, but I continue to long for that. And that continued to influence me. And so the battle I had to fight, I had to look down at that army. And the army's there looking like, saying, hey, I'm big and strong and, and you need the approval of people. And, and, you know, you can't fight against me. And like the guy is standing in this clip, he's like, oh, the English are too many. How can we fight this? Let's run away and, and we'll survive and we'll be okay. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll live to fight another battle. But actually, there's a time where we've got to say, uh, you know, actually, we're going to follow, we're going to go into this battle. Not alone but with actually Christ with us. Christ, you know, let me draw on your strength. You know, like, like the, the, the army there, William Wallace sets them up. Come on, I'm leading you into battle. I'm with you. In fact, Jesus will kind of win the victory with us, but, but in partnership where we partner with him. What's another battle I fought? Another battle I fought, fought was a common battle for young adults, which was just with drinking and drunkenness. Again, I kind of share this with a, with a degree of shame. It's not something I talk about greatly. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I became a, a believer, um, and I, I began to develop Christian friends, and, and then I also kind of had some non-Christian friends, and, and so I'd, I'd kind of live a bit of a dichotomous life, sometimes hanging with my Christian friends, sometimes hanging with my non-Christian friends, living two very different ways, and the, uh, the currency of, of friendship probably was, uh, was drinking um, with, with most of those guys, so that was part of my life. And then little by little, I began to kind of just realize, like, like what, am I, what am I doing? This is not what I'm called to. And I wouldn't say in any way that it was a, an addiction or a, um, a dependency. It was nothing as serious as that for me, but it was just like, this should not be part of my life. And it took a while for me to wake up to that. And then again, part of the approval thing playing into that, it took a while to win that battle. And I made some mistakes and, um, and I kind of, uh, I hurt some people along the way. Uh, once I uh, went to a, um, uh, a big uh, ball, it was a medical ball. I was, uh, my girlfriend at the time was a medical student. And so I went with her to a medical uh, student's ball, right? And um, I just was made an absolute fool of myself by drinking way too much. And I just ruined the night for her. Absolutely right. Like it was a special night for her. One night of a year, she was like excited for it, keen. I was like not the medical student. I was going as her partner and I just ruined her night. And uh, just by making an idiot of myself, she had to look after me. Like how terrible is that? I feel like really ashamed to share that. But um, that's probably where some of you guys uh, and girls are fighting that battle because that's a battle young adults are dealing with so often. So I'm not uh, standing here as a pastor who has never had to struggle with these battles. But I'm someone who said, saying to you that whatever your battle, uh, that actually you have been set free. You are not in chains anymore. The battle has been won. The chains are off. But Satan is wanting to say to you, no, no, you're still chained up. Or you can't overcome this. You'll never, do, you'll never get past this. This is who you are and this is, you know, whatever. But actually, uh, as John um, spoke about, uh, though we continue to struggle with sin, God does not look at us as a sinner but as a saint. 
He looks at us as, uh, as uh, righteous and right in His eyes and He's filling us with His Spirit and He's journeying with us daily and actually as we trust in Him and turn to Him, He empowers us to overcome the battle. And the best way that we do that is not by trying to not do something bad, but actually by replacing it with something good. So if I say to you, like, I want you now not to picture in your mind an elephant. Okay, don't think of an elephant. Right? Who just thought of an elephant? No one. Okay, that, my analogy went, yes, but lots of people did. You know, uh, you, so the more you try and not think about the bad thing that's actually may actually draw you into that a better choice is to actually fill your life with the things of God to fill your life with the things of God to put yourself in a place where you're actually going to be encouraged in faith to put yourself around people who are going to strengthen you to worship God to just enjoy life and thank God that for me uh, as I was then surrounded by Christian people who had greater maturity than me they began to model for me a life where they lived out the reality of what John 10.10 says which is that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy but I have come Jesus said that that you might have life in abundance so I found Christians who lived life in abundance they lived with joy, they lived with freedom, they lived with uh, just kind of like loving life and doing so much awesome stuff and serving God and that became like, yeah, I, I'm going to choose that path. And then as I began to choose that path, then things became a lot easier. I began to win some battles and life became an adventure. I went on an adventure, an adventure of faith. That adventure for me involved things like as a 19-year-old or 18-year-old becoming a youth group leader, um, for a little while becoming a Sunday school teacher. I say a little while because I was not the best Sunday school teacher. Um, I tried, but I just wasn't gifted in working with uh, young kids. But hanging out with youth and, and love doing that and then... Um, serving God in different ways and being on camps and leading and directing kind of camps and all this kind of stuff. And then God opened a door for me uh, to step into ministry and called me to go to Bible college. And, uh, you know, I remember when I started that out and, and then a new adventure began. And um, uh, God did awesome things. I, I loved it. I went to become a youth, young adult pastor at Marion Church of Christ. And... Uh, Started out, I remember like the first few weeks in youth ministry, we used to be able to drive around our whole youth group in this 12-seater bus. Leaders and youth in a 12-seater bus. It was this small youth group of very random kids, very different um, kids, uh, youth. Not cool kids at all, but uh, um, <laughs> I'm trying to emphasize this. It was a very interesting youth group at the time. In fact, what had happened is there'd been a, a bit of a uh, problem in the youth group and all the cool youth had like gone away. And then I came in as a youth pastor uh, to a, a very small struggling youth group. And we just began to sow into that youth ministry um, and, and just love these youth. And God just, the youth group went from like 10 kids to 50 kids on a Friday night over four years. And it just became amazing. Anyway, I'm rambling. Let me finish this sermon. There is a wonderful freedom in following Jesus. There is a wonderful life that God has. God has sown into every single one of you gifts for you to serve Him. 
and a life where He wants you to go deeper in relationship with Him so that wherever you're at in your maturity and your walk with God, it is just the beginning. It is just the beginning. There's so much more for you to experience. The battles uh, need to be faced up to and fought. Don't think, don't allow yourself to believe that you cannot um, win the battles because actually it's not you who needs to win the battles, but actually it's actually Christ in you. It's about the Spirit at work in you to help you overcome. You have been set free. The wages of sin is, de- uh, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now that you have been saved, uh, should you go on sinning? Uh, by no means. You've been set free from sin. Why would you live in it any longer? There's the message for tonight. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, uh, I pray that um, there's something in tonight's message uh, will speak deeply uh, to someone here tonight that needed to hear it. Um, what a gift that you have set us free. What a battle to live out a Christian life in the current climate of this world. And what uh, a thing for us to face up to the reality that um, we have been set free, but we actually need to claim that freedom and walk into it. I pray that we might be excited to step into uh, the adventure of faith and into a deeper walk with Jesus and to stare down some of those uh, um, battles that we're going to need to come across. Lord, may we be reminded always that in you there is victory and that we have victory through you and in you. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.